Good morning. My name is Derek, one of the pastors here, and we're excited that you're here. You know, as we were worshiping here, I just was overwhelmed kind of by the idea that God shows up uniquely when we gather. You know, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. He is with you all the time. But there's something unique about when God's people come together to worship. You know, Scripture tells us, don't forsake the gathering together. Do this. Get together frequently. And since, you know, those days, uh, the church has done it every day of the week or one day of the week, Sunday, typically. And there's something unique. And so if you're here, it's not an accident. And God wants to do something in your life. Whether you've been a Christian your whole life, and that's 20, 30, 80 years, or whether you aren't sure about this whole Christian church thing yet, we are glad you're here and you're welcome here. And I hope that God will uh, reach you this morning. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that we can gather to worship. Um, God, you are so worth it. Uh, I, I thank you that you gave us music, that we can sing, we can express our love to you, and sometimes we don't know the words, and so the, the music helps put words in our mouth that we want to say to you, and we praise you, we love you. Uh, work in us today for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, being a, a pastor comes with certain joys and responsibilities. One of those is weddings. I love doing weddings, uh, looking around. I'm not sure I've married anyone. Megan and Slade aren't here, I guess. But, you know, weddings is one of those fun things. People starting off life together, uh, premarital counseling. What's it going to be like to, to do this with God at the center? And then one of those other things that, that I do at times is funerals. And those can go either way. A funeral can either be a great celebration or it can be awkward. I mean, in all honesty, and I've done both of those. One of my jobs as a pastor in the, uh, in the funeral is the eulogy. And if you don't know what that is, that's where basically I do kind of a rundown of the story of this person's life, kind of an overview with the goal of helping people think well of them uh, and giving hope and encouragement. Sometimes that's really hard. I've had those where I met with the family and they're like, you know, tell me, tell me about them. Huh. Tell me something good. Huh. And, and then, or, or there's other ones where, you know, were they a follower of Jesus? No, that's really hard because I can't stand up there and give them hope that this person's in heaven because they had no faith in God, you know, so that's really hard. But even in that, I am always committed to share the gospel, which gets really awkward <laughs> in those. And I've had those where people start groaning as I start talking about Jesus, uh, but I do it anyway. Um, here's my question. If I do your funeral, are you going to make it easy on me or hard? <laughs> I'm serious. What's it going to be like if I do your funeral? And maybe it's in a week. I mean, we don't know. You know, I've talked about this before. We want to talk today a little bit about living with the end in mind. You know, what do we want said about us at the end? What do we want our eulogy to say? And we've talked about this before, and I've done an illustration with a jar of beans in it. It's like every bean is, is a weekend left in your life based on age, whatever. But honestly, we don't know. We don't know how long we're going to live. We don't know. So at the end, is my job going to be easy? But better than that, are you going to stand before Jesus and hear, well done, good and faithful servant? Are you going to hear that? Uh, the book of Ecclesiastes has these verses which are really helpful. You know, you, you think, what, okay, we're talking about funerals in the end. This isn't morbid. This is good for us. Ecclesiastes 7, verses 1 and 2 says, A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of birth. It's better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting 
Why? For this is the end of all people, and the living take it to heart. Why is it good to go to a funeral? Well, the writer of Ecclesiastes thinks, because when you go, you consider your own mortality. You know, they say, what are the, the two things that are guaranteed in every life? Death and taxes. Someday, we will stand before our maker. That is guaranteed. Whether we die and stand before him, or he comes back in our lifetime, which would be awesome, we will stand before our maker. We will give an account for the lives that we lived. We are saved by faith in Jesus alone. That's it. Jesus' death on the cross, his blood covers our sin. And when we, by faith, accept what Jesus did on the cross, and we say, you are now Lord of my life. I repent. I turn to you. I believe. We are saved. We are given the Holy Spirit sealed. But then... God wants to do some things in our lives. Then there's a process of change, of good works and this stuff, not to earn salvation, but because of salvation. And in that, we get rewards. It's actually from that following, it's from that life change where we experience joy, peace, purpose, and leading to great rewards. Do you know that eternity is going to be physical? We are going to have a body on a new earth. Eternity is going to be more like what we have now than not. Now, it's going to be perfect. We're going to be sinless. There's going to be no pain. What's it going to look like exactly? I don't know, but it's going to be great. And how we live now will determine how we live then. And Scripture talks about it. In general, God is going to change the Christian's life. If we place our faith in him, he's going to do some things. That's the natural progression of things because we get the Holy Spirit. But we can resist that. And the Bible talks about there are some of those who are going to get there, but as through fire. That as they go, it's like all their, their deeds in life they'll be holding in their hands. And if they're wood, hay, and stubble, they're worthless. They're going to get burned up, and they're going to get there and be glad to be there, but have no reward. You know, it's going to be like, we're just here, and, you know, they're putting out the sparks on them, but they're there. And then there's others that their, their deeds, their life, they're carrying it here. They go through, the fires come and, and test it. I mean, it's just a picture. It's not actually going to happen. It's a picture, but it's, it's jewels, it's gold and silver and precious. And these are the, the life. And you go through and then you take these and you lay them before Jesus' feet. Because he gets the glory, but then he also gives us rewards. So we have something to look forward to. Well, we are going to look at Acts 20. Turn there if you would. Because in Acts 20, we're going to see the Apostle Paul kind of give his own eulogy a little bit. Uh, the Apostle Paul meets with some Ephesian elders. These were good friends. He had been with them for three years, then he had gone on some other trips. Uh, and now he is on his way to Jerusalem. He knows this is the last time he's going to see him. And so he kind of gives an outline of his own life, which is helpful for us to look at. What does he highlight? As he looks at his own life, what does he highlight? Uh, here's how we read the Bible. Something helpful. Acts is, is a narrative. It's telling a story. A lot of the epistles, uh, you know, the, the first John, second John letters, they're saying, hey, live this way, believe this way. Acts is a narrative. It's just telling us what happened, which sometimes can be hard to preach on because you look at it and go, why did Luke, Luke is the one who wrote this, Luke was here during this time, why did he write this down? So we see Paul talking to the Ephesian elders, and so you have that, they're, they're the audience, but Luke is there, and then he is remembering and writing it down for us. Why? Well, I think part of the reason is we see Paul as an example. Paul would say, follow me as I follow Christ. And so I want to look at Paul's speech right here, and we're going to find five things that every Jesus follower wants to be able to say at the end of their life, like Paul could. So I'm going to read the whole speech, and then we're going to go and kind of pick through it and find five things that hopefully we will be able to say 
at the end, leading to Jesus saying, well done, good and faithful servant. So, Acts 20, starting in verse 17. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus, this is Paul, and he called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life as any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up, to give you the inheritance along with all who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of our Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of them all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. A lot in here. I mean, really, this, we could pull all kinds of things out. We're only going to look at five things. Five things every Jesus follower wants to be able to say. And here's the first one that sticks out to me in here. I was faithful to do all Jesus told me to do. Verse 24. He says this, But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul was faithful to do what God asked him to do. Can we say the same thing? That I was faithful to do all Jesus told me to do. Paul, he says, live or die. I'm going to do what he told me to do. I'm going to be faithful. And I've been faithful. And now he's going to go to Jerusalem. He's going to be arrested. He's not going to die right away. He's going to have a couple years in prison where he's going to continue to preach the gospel. He's going to write a good portion of our New Testament during those years. He's going to go to Rome where he's in prison and all of Caesar's household will hear the gospel. He's going to keep doing what God called him to do. Are we faithful to do what God has called us to do? What has God called you to do? Now, we're all called to a lot of the same things. We really are. 
abstain from sexual immorality. We saw that earlier in the book. Uh, you know, be a good husband, be this type of husband, a godly, be this type of wife, be this kind of kid, obeying your parents. Uh, a lot of things fit all of us, but there's also things unique to you. God has gifted you. God has given you passions. What is it God has called you to do? Now, you probably didn't hear a voice from God, you know, hey, I have this for you to do. But as you get to know God, you read scripture, you look at your own life, there's something unique about you. And God wants to do some of those things. Are you going to be able to say this? I have been faithful to do all God has called me to do. You know, for me, if I was going to write this down, what has God called me to, to do? What's unique about me? I think it's be part of a, a kingdom movement of churches where the DNA of God's people is a little different than traditional. Um, I, I believe God has called me to help truly, you know, follow God and a movement of churches, not to build a big church. We've talked about that at Common Ground. My goal isn't to build a big church. My goal is to help all of us go and see what God might do. And I think this is what God made me to do. And right now, my job is, this is part of it. That may change in the future. I don't know. But this is what God has called me to do. And you are unique. There's something unique about you that God has called you to do. Something else that sticks out to me in this one. Faithfulness is what we're called to. We're not called to success. Do you notice that? If our faithfulness leads to God doing great things that we get to see, great. He gets the credit. He gets the glory. We're called to faithfulness, not success. This is pretty freeing. If I'm doing what God has called me to do and I don't see the fruit of it, that's fine. Those rewards are waiting for me, whatever it is. And sometimes we get mixed up on what success looks like. Uh, remember uh, Philip. Philip is one of the seven. We saw him earlier in Acts. Uh, Philip goes to Samaria, and he's preaching the gospel, and so many people are being saved. I mean, it's this great revival among the Samaritans. It's awesome. And then God says, oh, Philip, I want you to go to this deserted road uh, way down south. So leave all this great stuff God is doing and go there. I mean, it's like, like go to the 50 on the way to Eureka, and, and you're going to meet, you know, it's like one car comes by every two hours, whatever. That's where he went, and he met one person this Ethiopian eunuch on his way back home to Africa. One person. That person is converted, and tradition holds that he went back to Africa, and that's where the African church started. So this one little thing led to something else great, but Philip had no idea. He was just faithful. Go over there. Why? Great things are happening here. I want you to go. He was faithful to go. Are we faithful to what God has called us to do? And I think part of this, too, is, is don't compare. You know, we, we look at others, right? And we compare, oh, I, I don't see the fruit in my life that they have or, or whatever. You're unique. Not everybody is going to have the same success as somebody else. We're called to be faithful, and there are rewards for that. Don't let it be said at your funeral, they had great plans to be faithful, but they didn't quite get there. Please. Number two, I told the truth. Verse 20 says, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. But then also look at 26 and 27. I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Paul told the truth. He told the whole counsel of God. He didn't hesitate 
because of what somebody might say about him. He didn't hesitate because of what would happen to him. He told the truth. In fact, he's going to end up going to Rome where they're going to behead him and he will have no tombstone. He will have no eulogy. They threw his body, probably eaten by the dogs. He was beheaded and just thrown out. But that's just his physical body. You know, he, he was willing to go. He didn't hesitate because of what could happen. He told the truth. Now, he told the truth compassionately. This is one of those things, a lot of times we Christians, we have the truth and we're just jerks with it. Uh, and, and really, as we share it, we're poking them in the eye at the same time. We're supposed to share, you know, with love. And that's how Paul said, he says, with tears. How, with tears, I love you, you know. And he pleaded with people, follow God. This is the truth. There is judgment coming. And I'm not on this podium, I'm so good, look at me, and you're going to have judgment. No, he says, I'm one of you. We, we would have judgment if it wasn't for Jesus. That's how we share. But he told the truth. He didn't hesitate to share the whole counsel of God. The whole counsel of God. That's in verse 27. I think there are some churches that are going to be in trouble because they shrink from the whole council. Oh, we're not going to talk about sex stuff because that offends people. Oh, we're not going to talk about sin. Who wants to hear about sin? Well, if you don't talk about sin, then there's no point of talking about salvation because Jesus died on the cross to take care of our sins. So we have to talk about the hard things. I have to offend you some, and I'm not going to apologize for it right? Uh, we have to talk about the hard stuff. He didn't shrink from it. He, he shared the whole counsel of God. Now, in verse 26, this is interesting. He says, I am innocent of your blood. That's weird, right? Well, that comes from Ezekiel 33. In Ezekiel 33, God speaks to the prophet and speaks through the prophet, but he tells the prophet, you are like a watchman. You're like a watchman on the gates, and, and, and you're watching for the enemy to come. And if you see the enemy coming, and you turn and you warn everybody, the enemy's coming, they're close, and they ignore you, their blood is on their own head, right? They're like, nah, that watchman doesn't know what he's talking about. And then they're taken over and they're all killed. That watchman's innocent. But if the watchman is watching and sees them, it's like, eh, and doesn't warn, now when that army comes in and attacks, all those who die, this watchman is now guilty of all that blood because he didn't do his job to warn. Paul is saying, my job is to warn of coming judgment, because it's coming. And to point to the good news of salvation in Jesus, we too, we have this responsibility. We are also watchmen. Now, we're not all evangelists or preachers, but we are all called to be a witness. So are there friends and family in your life that you have not shared the good news of Jesus with? It is possible. You'll stand before Jesus later, and he's like, I, I gave you this person. You were the one that was supposed to warn them. And if you warn them, again, lovingly, not, not the judgmental, arrogant, whatever, beat them over the head with it, but if you warn them and they reject it, you're innocent of, of whatever happens with them. Of course, we will pray that nothing, we'll pray that God will change their heart, but we're innocent. If we don't share, there's some guilt on ours. How does that make you feel? Have you told the truth? Are you praying for opportunities to tell the truth? I like this quote by Charles Spurgeon says this, if sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped around their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and let no one go unwarned and unprayed for. 
I mean, that's us, our ambition to see people saved. That if they go, it's, it's not because they didn't hear. The truth is, there's one God. He revealed himself in Jesus Christ. Jesus lived a perfect life. He went to the cross and he died. And we're going to do the Lord's Supper later. But, but as he inaugurated that, and he, he told his disciples, this is the new covenant in my blood. The new covenant, the new deal God made with mankind is Jesus dies so we don't have to. Now, we're going to die physically, but eternal death. Jesus died and took it so we don't have to. That's the good news. I'm now innocent. You know it. You've heard the good news. You've heard the truth. What are you going to do with it? And now we share that. We, and that leads now to number three. I pointed people to Jesus, not toward myself. Verse 19. Serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. You know, I appreciate Paul's writings. Uh, Paul doesn't shy away from the fact that he's not there yet. He'll write that at times. Not that I've arrived, but I'm still on the journey. He'll write of his own weaknesses. You know, I keep doing the things I don't want to do. He was still in process like we are. Humility is the word here. In humility, meaning we point people to Jesus, not to ourselves. Do we do this? Or do we use the church, do we use God, you know, to point to self? And there's a lot of ways we can do this. You know, uh, maybe you're familiar with, with Amway or, or some of those multi-level marketing. The great place people will go is the church. Ooh, I'll go to the church. They're all full of nice people. And then I'll trick them and bring them over and do this presentation so they join my... Th I think, that, you know, that's using God for me. Or we also have this kind of a new Christian celebrity thing going on, at least in our country. And we see it over and over of these leaders fall because it's about them. You know, they, they point to themselves, oh, I've arrived. You should be like me. Look, look at me. I, and they set themselves up. No, let's point people to Jesus. We're all in the same point. Point people to Jesus, not to ourselves. There's a lot of freedom in that. Humble. This is one of our values as a church. Not about me. It's not about me. And that leads to the fourth one. I finished strong. I finished strong. Verse 24. If only I may finish my course. He finished strong. Again, he finished by doing what God had called him to do. And he's not done yet. You know, he's going to say elsewhere, to live is Christ, to die is gain. If he takes me, great, I get to be with him. If he leaves me, it means fruitful labor for me. Well, after this, I mean, he could die any day, but he continues fruitful labor while he's in prison. I mean, golly, can you imagine? You know, he's chained in Rome um, and, and a new, you know, they swap out the guards. And he's like, good luck with this one. Every guard that came through heard the gospel. That's what he talks about. Every single one so that all of Caesar's household then heard the gospel and many were saved. He never stopped. Can we say this? I finished strong. Some of you are maybe like me. You're good at starting things and not so good at finishing. Just come to my house and you'll see a shed and you're like, you painted half it. I'm like, yeah, I got bored. <laughs> you know, or I had to go do something else. It's, people do this with their spiritual life also. You, they'll, they'll hear the good news of Jesus. They'll get excited. They'll start to follow. And then they'll fall away. Then they'll drift. Oh, this is too hard. Wait a minute. You, he actually wants to change me? Mm-mm, mm-mm. I'm my own God. Or we, we become maybe apathetic. And I blame the church for a lot of this. 
The, the idea that, that church is about consuming, that you sit and, and there's the pastor up there and the worship team and we're going to consume religion or whatever. No, that, I mean, that's not what we're about. We're about movement. We're about joining God's kingdom. That's why over here, the church, we're a cruise ship or a battleship. We're a battleship. God has a great mission to save souls and to grow people. So are we going to finish strong? What has God called you to do? Guess what? You're not done. You know how I know? Because you're sitting here. <laughs> you're not 10 feet under yet. You're still here. There's more God has for you to do. And we have this thing in the church where, where we get to retirement and we retire. And I've heard this said by mature, and yeah, those quotes are on, by mature believers. Well, I used to serve in kids, but I don't anymore. I'm, I now get to enjoy the service every week. Well, what about the moms, you know, that are working so hard through the week, and now they're serving in the kids too. Shouldn't they have a chance away from the kids for just a couple of, I mean, and, and you hear this, well, I, I used to serve, but now I'm done. Now, I, now it's about me. We never get to that point. We're never done. We finish strong. And I want to go to the other side of that real quick. Kids, it's never like, later God's going to use me. Later I'm going to be unique. No, you're unique now. Some of you are really unique now. But, but God has you to do great things at school. What opportunities has God put in your life to serve? You know, I mean, just look at who serves on Sundays. We've got kids greeting. We've got kids in the back. I mean, jo Jonah's not a kid, but Jonah's back there right now doing, yeah. <laughs> but you already are unique, and God wants to do great things. Are you finishing strong now? Like, you know, if your life ended in a couple years, and I hope it doesn't, could you say then, I finished strong. I was part of the mission of God. The Bible is full of uh, instructions for us to persevere. Make it to the end because God knows sometimes it gets tiring. It does. Sometimes serving year after year after year and then you look and you're like, I'm not seeing much fruit. He says, persevere. Sometimes some of us struggle with our flesh still. Probably all of us. We struggle with sin and, and oh, I don't want to battle anymore. It says, no, keep battling. Keep battling. Fight to the end. Let's, let's get better. Let's glorify God more and more as each day goes on. Finish strong. Finish strong. Don't grow apathetic. Pour some gas on your spiritual life. If this is you and you're just kind of like, eh, about God, you know, that's just kind of your overall, eh. I wish I was different, but I'm, eh. Pour some gas on that. How? What's unique about you? Now go do something. Anything. Anything. Go step out and serve in a way that's uncomfortable. That's where it's really going to happen. You start to get excited when you get uncomfortable and you see God do some things. Just try it. All right, number five, last one. You know, before this, just real quick, because I got time. I skipped over a whole story here. You can read back about it. I skipped over the story where Paul is preaching, uh, and he's teaching, and they're in this upper room. And as he's teaching, it goes on and on. And it's actually how it's written. He goes on and on and on. And then uh, this guy falls out the window because he falls asleep. <laughs> and so Paul runs down, and he's like, Nope, he's not dead. He's and like brings him back to life and then goes up and then keeps preaching until after midnight. I'm not ever going to do that. But if I did, it'd be okay because Paul did it. So we skipped that, but it's kind of one of those cool stories of, you know what, it's always kind of happened that people fall asleep when people are preaching. Uh, but don't because I'll be offended. All right, number five, last one. I gave more than I took. I gave more than I took. This kind of goes back to the battleship cruise ship. Consumer Christianity, 
Do you consume religion or, or what the church, whatever, or do you give more than you take? Paul gave more than he took. Verse 35. Verse 35. Actually, 33 and on. He says, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands, his own hands, ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. You know, Paul is a really, again, he's a really good example. Uh, at times, churches supported him, and, and they should. And he would teach, he'd speak elsewhere and say, a pastor, a minister, they're worthy of their wages. You should pay them. And he would say this, you should be paying me now for what I'm, but I'm not going to ask that of you. Instead, he would, you know, preach at night or preach in the day, and then he would go, and he was a tent maker. Then he would go work. He would make tents, and he, he worked hard to never be a burden to anybody. He didn't use his role, and he could have, and a lot did. He could use it to get rich. You know, then these traveling, like he was, a traveling preacher, these traveling teachers would go, and they would charge for their services. Paul didn't. Now, I mean, it was good. He would go, and, and then as churches were built, they would start to support him, and he would go, and he would take money and support others. But he didn't use it to get rich. He didn't use it. He gave more than he took. Why was he able to give so much? Think about it. Because he had somebody he could never outgive. He had Jesus. Jesus always gives more than he takes. You know, as when we come here, we come here to worship. After the service, or after the, the sermon, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. We're, and this is a time to be grateful and thankful because Jesus gives more than he takes. Does God want to do some things in us and through us? Yes. Are there certain things we should do? Yes. But it's in response to what he's done for us. You can never outgive God. Jesus went to the cross for us. Jesus died to do what we could never do. And then he pours out blessings. He wants to give us abundant life now and then for eternity. I, I mean, we're storing up treasures. We're going to talk about this in a few weeks. In heaven forever, we can never outgive God. And so we are free to give more than we take. Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but to serve. You remember at the Lord's Supper? I'm sorry, the Last Supper, where he instituted the Lord's Supper, when they came in for that meal and Jesus would be dying the next day, what did he do? He washed the disciples' feet. I mean, hours before his death, and he is serving. If we got together for dinner tonight and we knew I was dying tomorrow, it would be about me. <laughs> I mean, right? Not, not Jesus, and we're going to see that with Paul, too. As he is going to his end, he never makes it about himself. Uh, Dave is going to preach coming up, and it's going to be awesome. I've already read through it. But, but as, as he's being carried away, at one point, Paul being carried away, he might die right away. He's like, hey, wait, can I talk to them? You know, and they're like, all right, you know. And he turns around to preach on his way. That's the way Jesus, for us, are we able to give? It's all about the kingdom, all about Jesus. We give more than we take. And again, this is not religion. This is not legalism. This is all freely in response to what we've received. If we understand the grace that God has shown us, this is, this is what will happen in us. This will be a natural outflow. Now, why do we have to talk about it? Well, because we need the help. 
That's why he writes all this in here. I know you're going to struggle, so I'm going to lay this out. We have an example in Paul. Sometimes it's going to be hard. But when we understand the grace of our Lord and that we are now sealed, secure for eternity, and it's going to be awesome, now we're free to give our lives away. It's all about him. At your funeral, are you going to be able to have these things said about you? Right at the end, are you going to say, I did these things? If not, what are some tweaks that need to be made in your life? And again, not to earn salvation, because that's already earned by Jesus, but rather to hear when you stand before Jesus, well done, good and faithful servant. My goodness, that's going to be reward enough. But then there's other awesome rewards too. Now we're going to take the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper, or called Communion, you know, this is our time to remember what Jesus did. We never get past the cross. Again, how, how can we live the life we're talking about? By remembering what Jesus did. It always comes back to the cross. We never mature past Jesus' sacrifice on the cross or his resurrection. We're going to talk more about that in the next few weeks. His death and his resurrection, which we're going to remember right now as we take the Lord's Supper. Paul would write this in 1 Corinthians. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after the supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Listen to this, though. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. There is something very special about what we're doing here. It is symbolic. You know, when you take it, it doesn't become actually the body of Jesus. It, it does not actually become, the, it's symbolic. But there is something that happens when we take the Lord's Supper. And he tells us here, Examine yourself before you do it. This is for believers. If you have not placed your faith in Jesus as Lord, that's okay. You can come talk to me. I'm going to be right up here. If you want to come talk about what it means to follow Jesus or any other prayer that you might need, I'll be here. But if you're not ready to do that yet, just withhold. No big deal. Nobody's judging you. For the rest of us, if you have placed your faith in Jesus as Lord, take a minute and examine yourself. How are me and God? Do I have any unconfessed sin? Am I I hiding something secret in my heart that I'm not willing to give up? Take a minute and give that up. Is there a relationship that you have broken, that that you need to ask forgiveness, you need to restore? That's one of those things that it, it talks about here. In the church, you're all fighting, and then you take the Lord's Supper like you're good? No, stop. Don't do it. Go reconcile with your fellow brother or sister, and then come take it freely. So for you, take a minute, examine your heart, and then come thankfully, joyfully remembering what Jesus did for us. Now, uh, if you haven't done it before, we have three stations. So you'll be moving. Come grab it. You can sit. You can pray with who you're with. Um, it's, it's weird. It's COVID style. So you got to peel the top open and the bread is in there and it tastes like cardboard, but that's not the point. Um, but that's how we do it uh, and, and do it as you will. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Um, I, I thank you, first of all, that salvation is based on what you have done. 
that your finished work on the cross earns us eternal life. Thank you, thank you, thank you. If that wasn't the case, uh, we would have no hope um, or would be proud because we would think that we were doing it. So we thank you that it's all because of your grace. We love you. And God, we do thank you that, that in your word, you give us examples like Paul and others. You give us specific teaching of this is how I want you to live. And I thank you that your way of living is best for us and glorifies you. And so I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would convict us where needed, that we wouldn't feel guilt or shame unnecessarily, but that instead, as you reveal things, we would repent like we're supposed to, and we would turn to you joyfully and thankfully. Fill us with your joy. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.